This first service this morning, I have on my mind some thoughts uh, that came to me as I was preparing uh, a little commentary I've started doing on Facebook. Uh, my dear friend, Brother Jerry Hunt Sr., passed away about a week and a half ago, and uh, almost 91 years old. The last six years of his life, he's on Facebook every day, posted a verse-by-verse commentary. He began with Genesis 1-1 and had made it to the fifth chapter of Nehemiah when he passed away. So uh, after a little bit of prayer and a lot of reflection, I decided to try to take up that work and continue his writings and have been doing that for the last week or so. This morning, the text that I was considering was uh, found in the first uh, verse of the seventh chapter of Nehemiah. And what I noticed was in verse 4, the statement is made, Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. And that got me to thinking about the fact that the city of Jerusalem at that time, though the wall had been completed and the work appointed to Nehemiah was for the most part done, and in spite of all of the adversaries and all of the opposition of Sanballat and Tobiah and the various ones who had risen up against him, the work was complete. And yet, as Nehemiah appointed rulers over the city and he beheld the work of the city, the observation is made that the people are few and the houses are not builded. There's more work yet to be done. And in thinking about this, I was considering what it is to be a part of the building of God and to know that salvation is accomplished. It's completed in the person of Jesus Christ. And in one sense, it can be thought that we're simply waiting for the consummation when Christ will come and receive his people to himself. But yet we look about Zion and we see the city is truly great. The city is truly grand and glorious and large. And yet the people are few and the houses are yet to be builded. And that got me thinking about the building of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, as the disciples are questioned about whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am, and they say, finally, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus' next statement is, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church." Now, the church of Jesus Christ was already present as Jesus spoke these words. The church of Jesus Christ had been present in a sense from the first revelation of God to his people in Old Testament times. But in a new and special way, the new covenant church was present in Jesus Christ. Jesus was already providing instruction on how to deal with conflict among brethren. And as he did that in Matthew 18, what did he say? If they fail to hear you and they fail to hear the witness, as you take with you, take it to the church. The church already existed. The church was already built. And yet Jesus says, future tense, I will build my church. And the church of Jesus Christ is a building of God that continues to be built. And it's important that we have this realization and this understanding. 
In the first Corinthian letter, the apostle Paul takes this idea and he builds upon it all the more. He begins chapter three of first Corinthians saying, and I brethren could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? He goes on to describe the conflict they have in the church. One says, I'm of Paul, another I'm of Apollos. He says, these are carnal ideas. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, and then he says, ye are God's building. You are God's building, God's work. It's not about the individuals who contribute their efforts. It's not about the study that you do, the labor you do in sharing God's word. It's not about the good works that you do. It's all God's work. It's what God is working and it's for God's glory. And he says, you are the building of God. God is building his house and it's built upon a firm foundation. The foundation is what? Jesus Christ alone. He is the firm foundation. He is the cornerstone as Paul is going to explain. In the Ephesian letter in Ephesians chapter four, he talks about the church of Jesus Christ and he describes it as something that is to be built, to be built up. And built up by gifts that God has given, that God has placed within his church. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, he quotes Old Testament scripture. When he hath ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, or the completing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is addressing exactly the same message that's presented there in the Corinthian letter. Why? Because he says the ministry of the word is given so we'll no more be children. So we won't be those who are weak, who are not strong enough to take strong meat. So we won't be those who are not able to receive the instruction of the scripture or the teaching of God. So in the Corinthian letter, chapter 3 again, he says, you are the building of God. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. That's an important verse, verse 11. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. You see, the building is God's building. And we are to work according to God's instruction. 
As ministers of the gospel, we are instructed in 1 Peter chapter 4, we are to speak as the oracles of God. That is, we are to speak the words of God. It's very important that we take heed how we build upon the foundation. Why? Because the foundation is God himself. The foundation is Jesus Christ. He's holy. The church is not something that we build according to our own ideas. It's not something we build in the way that seems most practical to us or most effective to us. It's not something that we do with, with disregard for God's word. We build upon the foundation only in accordance with the instruction of God's word. Why? Because it is God's building that we are building upon. We are servants of the master builder, Jesus Christ. So Paul says he has a role in this himself. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, he says, I have laid the foundation. Who's the foundation? Jesus Christ. And another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we've been given a great and precious building. A great and precious foundation. We've been given a foundation that cannot be shaken. Jesus talks about the foundations in our lives. He gives us the story of the man who builds a house on, on shifting sand and the man who builds a house on a rock. Well, God's house is not built on shifting sand. God's house is not built on ideas that change with the culture. God's house is not built on ideas that are subject to man's innovation or man's education or man's ideas. God's foundation is sure, it's fixed, it's established. His foundation is Jesus Christ himself. And what does that mean to us? Is Jesus Christ just a man, just a name? No, Jesus Christ is God, the unchanging, immutable one, the holy and harmless one, the one who never changes, the one who cannot be shaken. And that's a foundation for his church and consequently a foundation for our lives. Indeed, our lives are in Him. Because He died and rose again for us and we're raised with Him to walk in newness of life. So what do we do? We build on that foundation. God's work of sanctification in our lives becomes a work building for His glory in the community in which we live. The church of Jesus Christ is built of men and of women who are changed by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're given a work to do. So what does he say? He says, let every man take heed how he build thereupon. There's no other foundation that can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Understand this. The building is God's building. That's important to realize. I work in the construction industry. And when we build, there are inspections. And if it doesn't meet the spec... It has to be changed. Well, that's no different in God's house. God is the builder. He, The builder and the maker is God. And what does he say here? Take heed how you build. Why? Because if you build with the right materials, your work will last. It'll be built up to the glory of God. God will be magnified in it and it will be a lasting legacy. 
to his praise. But if you build with inferior materials, if your heart is not in it, if your works don't match the commands of God's word, if your building is not to his glory, it'll be tried with fire and it'll be burned. It'll be eradicated. The Lord is in his temple and the Lord governs over his house. And we may say that we're doing things to his glory, but if we're not doing it his way, God can take care of that. And that's what this is saying. Simply saying God is the judge. God is the builder. And the church of God doesn't get to operate according to man's will. Take heed how you build. If any man build, if you work, if you labor, if you spend your life laboring to build the house of God, be sure you do it right or your work will come to nothing and there will be no glory found in the house. There's so many examples we could go to in Scripture of that exact principle where men tried to do things their way and God wasn't pleased and it didn't work out. One example that comes quickly to mind is the example of Nadab and Abihu. Men who were priests of God, they were anointed, they were appointed, and yet they brought what? Strange fire before the Lord. God had said, use this holy fire that I have created, that I've engendered. You do it the way I've told you to with the elements I've told you to. And these men said, well, fire is fire after all. Fire will burn, it'll do the job, and they brought their own fire to the temple or to the tabernacle to serve God. What did God do? He struck them dead. He consumed them. He destroyed them. Why? Because they tried to do things their way and not God's way. The message Paul gives to the Corinthian church, which is itself struggling with how it is that they're going to serve God in their environment, in their culture, in their economy. He says, take heed how you build. If you build with gold and silver and precious stones, with wood, with hay, with stubble, the work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Don't think you're going to hide your motives or hide your activities. God will find them out and God will make it plain. The day will declare it. It'll be made manifest because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What's he saying? He's saying every one of us who has been made to believe in Jesus Christ, every one of us who has professed faith in Christ and has united together with others in the church of Jesus Christ, we've been given a precious gift, a precious heritage, a precious legacy, and we've been given a work to do. The work of God in us has given us a commission to build his house. We build a house of praise. We build a house of truth. We build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ by reliance upon his word and by sharing that instruction one with another, bearing one another's burdens, lifting one another up, being careful to bear our own burdens as well, to take it to the Lord and to obediently follow the commands of his word. So if a man builds... And his work abides, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. What a blessing it is to know, to look about and see the labor of your hands and to see that it stands, that it abides. 
It's a great feeling, naturally. When you construct something, when you make something out of wood or out of stone, when you build something and years later you see it and you say, hey, I built that. How much better in the house of God when you labor to extol his name, to lift him up, when you labor for the edification of the saints, when you labor in the house of God and years later you can look about and you can know that there are those who were touched by the word that God gave you. Or even when you see the physical growth of a congregation and you know that you were there when it was small and now it's large and God's being praised. What a reward that is. What a blessing that is. Imagine the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter. The Apostle Paul who came to faith in Christ at a time when the church was struggling, it was persecuted, it was small. He himself was an instrument of persecution against the people of God. And the Apostle Paul lived to see the word spread throughout the Roman Empire. And he lived to be a part of that work, in fact a principal part of it. Going and preaching the gospel where the name of Christ had not been named. And seeing people converted and believing and churches established and people suffering and people dying for the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul had witnessed this. What a reward, what a blessing, what a rejoicing And he writes these letters to the churches and says, what I rejoice to the Philippian church, I rejoice because I see your faithfulness even in persecution, even in suffering. The Apostle Paul stands before King Agrippa in Acts 26 and what does he say? I would that you were not only almost but altogether such as I am except for these bonds. What rejoicing, what a reward. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And then the sobering thought in verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. How disappointing. How sad. How miserable it is to spend days and years in labor for a work that doesn't stand that doesn't last. He says if you find your work has been burned, you've done a work, but you've done it for the wrong reason. Or you've done it in the wrong way. You've done it with the wrong message. And all of your efforts, notwithstanding, God is not pleased. It's exposed. To be a false work. A work that does not glorify God. A work that is of no value. Again and again in God's word we understand we're made to see that the Christian life and witness is of no value if Jesus Christ doesn't get all of the glory, all of the praise. And it's not about finding your way to heaven. It's not about endearing yourself to Christ. He gave himself for you. He loves you that much. But it's about living to the glory of his grace. About making known that Jesus Christ is all in all. As Paul says in the Colossian letter, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And when we're exposed for the proud, for the self-centered and selfish beings that we are, What sadness there is when the work is burned, it's wasted, 
its nothingness. But what comfort in this last phrase, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Sometimes we make mistakes as Christians, and sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, and it turns out that it's wrong. What then? Well, this too is salvation. Consider the Apostle Paul's example. The Apostle Paul thought that he was serving God even as he was seeking to persecute the church of God. He was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting Jesus Christ. And he did all of that in the name of God, Jehovah. He thought he was doing good. And that day on the road to Damascus when he was struck down in the dust, he was made to see and to understand that no, it wasn't good. And it wasn't to God's glory. In fact, Jesus Christ spoke to him and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And gave him a commission, a work, a charge. Paul later describes this experience on the road to Damascus as a deliverance, a salvation. Why? Because God exposed the false work in which he was engaged and set him on a right path. Gave him right direction, right understanding. Certainly not as dramatic as that in our lives, most likely. But many times we... Proceed with zeal and no knowledge. We think we're going to do good for God's glory, but we try to take charge ourselves. We try to do it our way. And before long, we're not looking to God's word for direction. We're not depending upon the Holy Spirit. We're just charging forward with the strength of our will. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a mess. We find that everything is not proceeding as planned. We find that our way and his way don't match. Don't feel so terrible when that happens. Remember the Apostle Peter over and over again. No, Lord, you can't go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. I won't let it happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter stands up there at the Last Supper. I'll go with you even unto death. Jesus calmly says, before the cock crows three times or twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter says, no, Lord, that'll never happen. And yet it did. Jesus says, Satan's desired to have you, Peter, to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. When you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Build them up. Imagine how Peter felt. The zealous apostle, the one who said, I'll never leave you. As he denied the Lord, and that third time, Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked upon him, and Peter was broken. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. What a gracious, what a faithful God. He burns away our works that are of no value. He eradicates that which we do for the wrong reason or in the wrong way. He resets our position so that we can build to his glory, to his praise. This is true in our lives. It's true in the church of Jesus Christ. The fire that tries us 
is that which refines us, which brings us to a place of value in God's kingdom, gives us something that can last. Verse 16 brings the the idea of this building home. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Don't you know it's not about this physical building? And it's not even about the size and numbers in the church. It's not even about the popularity of the message. It's not even about how well known you are on social media and other apparatuses of the day. It's about you and it's about me. You are the temple of God. What's the temple? Well, it's the place where God dwells. Isn't that what God said about the tabernacle? He said, build this tabernacle according to my instructions and I will come and dwell in it. He said to Solomon, you build the temple and when the temple is built, I will reside in it. I will take up residence there. And what does the apostle say by inspiration? You are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This ought to bring the message home very powerfully. It ought to convict us. It ought to change the way we think about our service. God dwells in you. That's why the work is God's work. That's why God is the builder. Why? Because you are his and he is in you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. You are a vessel of praise to God. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Understand, if God dwells in you, if you are the temple of God, you need to think God's thoughts and you need to speak God's words. That means you have to check your own reasoning, your own intelligence, your own pride at some point and consider the things of God. Paul says in another place, we have the mind of Christ. Use that mind that is given you, that ability to understand God's ways. Let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. If we're going to build the house of God, we've got to do it God's way. And God's ways are not our ways. And that's applied in the church of Jesus Christ when we talk about the way that we conduct our worship. It's applied when we talk about the way we approach the word of God. It's applied when we talk about how we preach the gospel. We don't speak words that are calculated to entice or to encourage or direct or call men and women. We don't speak words that are calculated to affect an emotional response on men and women. We speak the words of God. Why? Because the building is God's. And God applies the word and God instructs and God's the one who takes that and applies it to the heart and molds the heart of the hearer. 
to receive it, to believe it, to be built up together in it. And we ultimately are the building of God. But for some reason, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For some reason, it pleased God to take this this group of people to change them by His grace and to thrust them together in this organic formation of His that He calls the church. And here in Temple, He's placed together this group of people not because of what you have to bring to God, not because of what you have to offer, and not even because of what you need from Him, But for His glory alone, for His praise, you are the building of God in this community. What does that mean? It means there's a responsibility. Responsibility to take heed how you build, with what you build. And that all directs us back to the pages of God's Word. What does God say do? And how does He say to do it? And that should drive our every effort, our every thought. It begins and ends with the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God instructs. Why? Because you are the building of God. You are that city that has foundations. You are in this community the pillar and ground of the truth. What a responsibility. But what a blessing if any man build and his work lasts, his work remains, he'll have a reward. What is the reward? To see God's name magnified in your assembly, in your life, in your community. As the darkness of this world increases, as Satan seems to gain greater influence, and people are deceived more and more, the light of the people of God shines brighter. And the Word of God is much more effective. And it's a work we're called to, what? To be His building. Why? Because we are the temple of God. Each of us individually possessed by God, with the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Let us build, let us labor, and recognize we have a great and large city, but the people are few. The houses have not been built. Each house of worship needs to be built. It's built upon the Word of God. It's built by the people of God in accordance with his instruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this day. Father, I ask that you would work in each of us a work of repentance, a work of renewal, a desire to to lift you up and to exalt your name and, Father, to do so through your word. Father, we ask for wisdom to understand the direction of of your word that we would not add to nor take away nor seek to apply our own wisdom uh, to the exclusion of the wisdom given by you. Father, we ask that you would cause us to worship you in accordance with your word and, Father, to magnify your name in all things. We ask that you would forgive us our sins and our pride and our desire to, to use our own rationale and our own abilities. 
And Father, we ask that you would take whatever work we do, whether it be good or ill, and Father, that you would manifest and reveal it, that you would burn away the chaff, that you'd burn away the stubble and the hay, and Father, that you would leave only that which is precious and exalting and magnifying to your name. I ask, Father, your blessing upon Temple Church, that you would be with each member here, that you would bless them, that they might walk each day in accordance with your word, and Father, that your name would be magnified here and your people would see that and would glorify you and would join together and father worship in this place we give you praise father we give you thanks for the great god that you are for building your church and placing it in a world of darkness and sending us out as as lambs among wolves but father lambs who depend upon a great shepherd who is able to defend to protect to exalt to lift up and to heal and father we ask that even as we see our own brokenness we would find strength in you that we might rise and that the work we do would be a lasting work, a work that would redound to your glory and your praise. And we give you thanks in Jesus' holy name. Amen.